Hello friend and welcome back to episode 14 of my 31 day challenge where I am answering your questions about creating a career or a business that you love and today I am answering the question how do you distribute VR content especially during COVID times. So we're going to be diving into that today. If you've got a question that you'd like to ask, you can ask me on any of the social medias. Alex Makes VR is my handle. If you've got a slightly longer question, you can send it to alexmakesvr at gmail.com. And if you want to be reminded every day when these episodes go live, I send out a daily newsletter just to let you know that the episode is live, but also to give you a bit of a recap about what I talk about in the episode. So if you would like to be notified, you can sign up at alexmakesvr.com. I feel like I'm starting this off and I'm already very aware of how sleepy I sound. (laughs) So make no mistake that my slightly less energetic tone is nothing to do with the subject that I'm about to tackle here in this in this episode more to do with the fact that for some reason I can't sleep in past 7:30 even on a weekend which super bizarre if anyone's got any tips then please let me know I'm worried that this is just part of like growing up um in which case that makes me very very sad because I really miss my 9, 10 a.m. lay-ins, I'm not going to lie. Okay, but let's let's actually dive into the subject. How do you distribute VR content, especially during COVID? So I think to begin with, let's talk about distribution in general for VR. Now, this is a particularly interesting subject to me because... I think like most creators, the whole point of making VR work is to get it seen, right? I mean, we all work in this industry. We all know how powerful this technology can be. We all get excited when we put that headset on and we're transported to a different world. We're excited to tell stories in this medium. And yet the hardest thing to kind of come to terms with and wrestle with is the fact that you are just not going to get the same amount of eyeballs on your work as if you were doing it in other mediums. And that's really challenging sometimes. And a lot of the time, you have to kind of decide very early on whether or not you want to go for a slightly bigger audience or a slightly smaller audience, which will dictate how you kind of go about doing your your project. Um, And I could be wrong because some people might argue that, no, you do what's best for the project and then you will find your audience. And, you know, the whole famous saying of like, if you build it, they will come. Um, And I just don't, I fundamentally just disagree with that. Maybe there's, you know, the odd piece of work that does kind of, you know, make it so into the zeitgeist. So it's so special. It's It's so taken hold of by the media that people just flock to it regardless of how hard it is to um to see or how difficult it is to get your hands on whatever it might be um but for for in uh for kind of general scenarios for 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 the majority of people that's just not going to be the case and deciding on your distribution plan for your vr project whether that be an original project, like a passion project or a narrative project or something that you're building just for yourself, or whether that be like a client project, 
deciding on that distribution up front is so, so important. I cannot tell you how important it is for you to make these decisions first. I've, I've had horror stories of people working on projects and then only to realise that they're incompatible with, for example, like, um, you know, it's no secret that on the festival circuit, festivals will only have access to certain equipment and certain, therefore, certain kind of technical specifications will sometimes be the deciding factor whether or not your piece gets shown. Um, I know for Playing God, um, the most recent uh, original project that um, that we worked on at Cats and Not Peas, um, it premiered at, uh, at uh, Rain, Dan- Rain Dance Film Festival, which is... Um, probably one of the biggest uh, VR film festivals. Well, biggest film festivals that has a VR arm to it uh, as of recording this. Um, Although, you know, that might change in future, of course. But um, that's a, you know, brilliant, well-respected, fantastic uh, festival. It brings together some of the best VR work in the world. Like we have pieces that premiere at Venice and and uh, Tribeca and Sundance and all those kind of things. They come and they they have their UK premiere usually at Raindance, um, that or Sheffield Dockfest. Um, but with Raindance, like I remember specifically when, when we found out that Playing God got in, it was amazing. It was exciting. We were so stoked to have like our piece premiere at such a big festival. We were, we were over the moon. And then the reality hit us that we had built this project for, well, we'd been mainly building it on HTC Vive. And all of a sudden we had like a four or five week window to make this piece work on an Oculus Go and still be interactive and still have the same kind of um, immersion as if you were seeing it in a six star headset, purely because... um, Maria, the fantastic curator for Raindance, really wanted to program it as part of a specific strand. And that specific strand was going to be shown on Oculus Goes. So we didn't have a choice. We had to make it work. And it was always our plan to make it work for Oculus Go. That was always our intention because we always wanted to make it as accessible as possible. But that process was so painful. I cannot describe to you how how many late nights our poor developer um dom spent like and and the the amount of time that myself and ben the the writer director of that piece um worked together like to 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 kind of pull bang our heads together to logistically work out how we were going to um make that deadline um many a beers in the office during those times, let me tell you. <laughs> so that was like, that's that's like a just an example of like some of the ways that you're going to come across distribution uh, kind of decisions that you need to make. And that's going to impact your budget. That's going to impact your timelines. That's going to impact everything. Um, and then when it comes to like actually getting out to a mainstream, like a more mainstream audience, again, that's going to be really important. I mean, the reason why we had always planned for Playing God to be uh, accessible on Oculus Go was because we knew that we wanted to show it because it was a a project funded by Arts Council England. We wanted to make sure that we could do a local grassroots tour and showcase it on 
just, um, what's the word? Uh, affordable headsets. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> Bear with me. Um, yeah, we wanted to make sure that it could be played on the kind of, you know, as cheap as possible headsets that we could get our hands on. Because A, that would make it affordable for us. We would get more people watching it because you could have more people watching it at the same time. And also it would be less of a risk for a venue to want to put it on because it wouldn't cost as much for them to hire in the kits. It would be less kind of um, work to have uh, have staff there to be able to like train them up to learn how to use it. They wouldn't have to hire in, you know, laptops as well as vibes, as well as, you know, setting up the base stations, as well as having staff there to like troubleshoot if it went wrong, et cetera, et cetera. The pro, you know, the, the, if you work in VR, you know, the kind of pro, the, in, the innate problems with distribution. Now I sound so far like I'm basically just shitting all over the distribution pipelines, and probably because I am absolutely yes. No one in VR um, will say that the distribution is perfect at the moment, um, but all all I'm kind of saying is just to make sure that like you are aware that when you are building projects in VR, you have to consider distribution right at the top. You have to know how you're going to be distributing it right from the beginning of your project. It's so, so important. It dictates everything. So once you've, ha once you've got an idea, basically, of like the kind of ecosystem you want it to sit on, so you know that it's, you know, you, you ideally want it to end upon quest, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, whatever you choose. Then it's kind of thinking about, okay, well, do I want it to be a app that is accessible on the store? So do I want, you know, anyone at home with an Oculus Quest to be able to download that from the store? And if so, again, it's about you need to look into that process ahead of time because um, from experience with what we've kind of been going through, trying to get Playing God on the on the Quest store, apart from kind of running into budget issues to actually get the coding finished to translate it over to a Quest kind of applicable um, experience. Um, you know, they're very, uh, Oculus are very, very picky with what they want on the Quest store. You have to go through a whole kind of uh, I'm not sure what the right word is, but I'll say procurement because that sounds fancy. Uh, a whole process where they basically vet your project to see if it's good enough to go on the store. So, you know, if, if you want access to that audience, it's not necessarily going to be as easy as just going directly there. Um, I would say one of the, the easiest ways to distribute is obviously if you create, a, if it's like a non-interactive project, uploading it to some kind of um, WebXR um, page or just having it as kind of like a uh, like an experience that sits on someone else's store. Um, so YouTube VR obviously is a massive one. If you've got a 360 project, you could easily have it on on there. But the, the only downside of that and one of the reasons why I've never uploaded any of my projects uh, to be publicly available on YouTube VR is purely because I always want to safeguard the fact that people are watching in a headset. And the truth is, as we've talked about before, if you distribute on Facebook or YouTube, 99% of people, I mean, I don't know that statistic exactly, but I would imagine 99% of people will not watch it in a headset. And that's absolutely fine if your project lends itself to being a magic window 
desktop or mobile 360 experience. But if you want people to have that fully immersive experience, if you want them to, to see it in a headset, um, that might not be the way to go. Maybe you want to contact platforms like VIA, V-E-E-R, or uh, Amaze VR. Um, or Within. Within is obviously like one of the biggest and they are the most, I guess, um, what's the word? They're kind of like the artsy... They're like the Vimeo, I guess, of, um, they're like, I guess they're trying to be almost like the artsy Netflix of, of, uh, of VR at the moment. They've got really well curated, beautiful artistic projects. It really depends on obviously what your project is. Another way is obviously to go through, um, a service like, um, uh, oh, I'm trying to even think what they're called, he uh, Headjack, I think, are, are, are a service, but also you've got services like Controverse um, and some other uh, apps uh, where you can kind of build your own app that distributes across all the different platforms and also have the built-in capability to be able to showcase in person with multiple people. So, that's something where, I mean, I've never personally used any of those services just because uh, whenever I distribute things as a bespoke app, we will always build the bespoke app in-house. And in fact, again, for those of you who kind of know a bit of my backstory, when um, in 2018, when me and my brother teamed up to build uh, Subconscious VR, which was basically a kind of like a, a white labelled um, interactive app that allowed you to kind of create and distribute interactive 360 experiences. Um, and the story of that, again, I feel like I say this every time I bring it up, but the story of that will be for another episode. But, um, you know, we've, we kind of built that infrastructure behind the scenes. So we always just published ours um, using our bespoke platform. So that was, I'm very fortunate to have kind of had access to that. But if you don't have access to it, one of these services, which will allow you to white label um, an app to publish, again, this will be great if you work with clients, um, just making something look more professional, but also it gives you that security of the fact that it's it's this private kind of hosted app. You know that someone's only going to see it on a VR headset. It's easy for a client to use, but also it allows you to get that reach. It allows you to kind of control, um, you know, who's watching it, how many people are watching it. If you're all together, you could have synchronized experiences, even if you're apart. I mean, one of the biggest kind of things that I've, I've not done yet, but it's something that me and my brother talk about all the time, which is something that our app is capable of doing, but we just haven't tried it yet, is having a worldwide synchronized VR experience. So, you know, getting that kind of, uh, get, getting enough people signed up to say, right, on uh, a little bit kind of like what Tribeca Film Festival did this year um, because of COVID and, and, you know, putting their selection on the store. But imagine if, if that had happened, but it was, everyone had to tune in exactly at the same time, or there were certain slots where you had to tune in and then it became like, like the festival experience where it was like a synchronized experience and you, you were seeing it with with your fellow VR audiences around the world and then maybe jump into like a forum or a Zoom chat afterwards to kind of um, discuss the pieces and get that kind of interaction and that excitement and that discussion afterwards, which is kind of what what the film festivals are all about, right? I mean, 
God love them, but I very rarely enjoy actually being in the VR headset during those because I'm so desperate to just like get to talk to people. And of course, so much of that is being in the headset and having that communal experience and then coming out and discussing and, you know, getting excited or getting into debates over what is good and bad and etc. Um, so much of that. So so that that would be like my ideal, like my kind of ideal distribution strategy would be one where you know, I could distribute to the most high spec but widely accessible headset, which is probably the quest, just purely, you know, right now of, uh, as of recording, that would be ideal. Um, and if theoretically that could happen, I would love to organise a big, especially during COVID, you know, some kind of big premier worldwide synchronised experience where everyone could watch at the same time. Just like on YouTube, how they have the kind of premiere feature where, you know, you can be, you could, you can see it on demand afterwards, but you could be there if you're like a hardcore kind of like fan or if you're like someone that's so curious about a particular project. Like there's some projects coming in the pipeline from some of my kind of like friends in the VR industry that I'm so desperate to see. And I would love if they said next Tuesday, we're getting together all in our quests and we're going to have a synchronized experience. I'd be so into that. It'd be so, and then we're going to, you know, then we're going to meet up in alt space afterwards and, and, and have a chat about it. That would be so cool. Like that's, that's what this technology allows. You know, the whole point of VR is to be able to kind of transcend distance, to transcend being apart so that we can feel like we're together, even when we're not. So I think there's like some really cool things you could maybe use this time to experiment with. Uh, but again, what it comes down to is what is your end goal? Like, is your end goal to kind of reach a small audience who are thoughtful and almost like a bit curated um, because they are very, very specific and you want to have an intimate experience with them, like then maybe something like that, maybe like a kind of a synchronized VR experience where you then meet up in alt space or something afterwards to discuss, maybe that's the way to go. If you want mass reach, in fact, literally just today, a friend of mine messaged me saying, oh, you'll never guess what, this um, one of these, I can't remember which brand it was now, but it was like a big fashion brand instead of, because they can't do the fashion show, the runway, um, this summer, they're going to roll out mass Google Cardboards and do like a virtual showing, which to me is really funny because, and as I said to her, I was like, that's so funny because literally brands have been doing this since like 2016. Like I'm fairly certain that the New York Times did exactly that back in 2016. They rolled out, you know, they gave every uh, reader of the newspaper a free copy of Google Cardboard and people could experience something together. So, you know, that's also a way to go and that's quite cheap. That's something that I know has been kind of rolled out in um, things like uh, the hospitals and things during COVID to keep kind of uh, give people that kind of like mindfulness experience, that therapeutic benefit of VR, you know, uh, hospitals and care homes, they've been um, using like cardboard so that they're single use, because obviously one of the problems at the moment with COVID, especially if you're in a communal showing it, uh, kind of setting is, is the is the hygiene side of it and making sure that you're not, you know, kind of cross-contaminating people um, with this 
sweaty box that they've had on their face. So so Google Cardboard is making a little bit, funnily enough, is making a little bit of a comeback because it's single use and it's cheap. And yes, of course, there are going to be many, 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 many people that say that putting a mobile phone in a Google Cardboard is not the same as having a fully interactive room scale virtual reality experience. But that in itself is the problem with VR. If the only version of VR that you could show was like in the 60s where literally there was like one massive multi-million dollar pound um, machine that lived in this one Silicon Valley, you know, office. And that was literally the only place in the world that people can experience virtual reality. How many people got to experience that? Like a handful. Now there's this spectrum of VR distribution. And I would say, don't be scared to tap into multiple, like uh, multiple um, uh, avenues of those streams. I would say absolutely know what you're trying to achieve with the piece because, for example, with my next um, original project, absolutely we will be building for something like the Quest first purely so that we can go after a kind of like a very curated, a very high spec kind of rollout first and then we will kind of, I will kind of be writing versions of the IP that work on different platforms. I'll be writing a version or like kind of editing it slightly and and making it so that it's a slightly different experience for a 360 user, but it's still powerful. It still means that I can get it out to people on those kind of um, entry, what's the word, kind of those, those um, kind of I guess they're kind of like, they're they're the starting point for most people who haven't experienced VR before. Like making sure it works on those kind of platforms is also so important. So yeah, the question was, how do you distribute VR, especially during COVID? And I hope that throughout these, I've kind of covered a few different bases. I hope that that gives you a good idea. I think number one, again, you just need to decide on do you want to go after like a mass audience first or are you going after more curated? But also have empathy for your end user that VR is still so new to so many people and not everyone, even like the um, the recent awards that I was just judging, um, you know, some of those judges didn't have access to like the higher spec stuff. I mean, you know, that I got sent like a laptop to connect my Quest to to turn into a Rift, but I don't have a Rift at home. I don't have a Vive at home. So you know, it's like even within the industry, not everyone uses the same technology. Not everyone has the same um, tech literacy. So imagine what that's like for the average person that doesn't really even know what VR is. You have to kind of think about that first. You have to think about the ease of use. You have to think about how user-friendly is this experience. And therefore, if it's meant to be user friendly, if I if I want to build an app that is like purely just like a relaxation app that's going to help old people living in care homes during these horrendous times or sending them 360 video messages of their family at home because they can't physically be with them right now. Well, I'm not going to create that experience for a Vive because that's completely, just completely de- defeats the point because no care home is going to be able to actually facilitate that. Whereas doing that for 
a Google Cardboard or an Oculus Go, that makes total sense. And making it as easy as possible for them to use, that makes total sense. So really think about your audience first as well. So that's it. I think I've rambled enough on this subject. I, If you've got any follow-up questions to this, I would be super excited to get into more discussion because this is one of the... Um, areas that I'm pretty passionate about because I think it's these these current lack of distribution strategies and these lack of distribution channels that are really impacting creators at the moment. Obviously in this episode I haven't even really touched on the game side of thing which is if you are publishing if you are going after like um a more what's even the word I can't even you know, if you're going after like a Vive Rift or a PSVR user or some, you know, the the kind of the high-end PC VR kind of users, then obviously you're going to, well, A, you're probably not going to be necessarily um, as worried about kind of access to audiences because you know that your end audience is already going to be tech literate because anyone that has those headsets is already going to know how to use them so you don't really need to worry about that piece of the puzzle um but yeah i mean i've never personally published to something like steam or the p or the playstation store um so that's not really for me to comment on because as you know i don't i don't touch kind of vr games totally different sector to what I work in but if that's you know if that's kind of like something you want to explore then absolutely go and do your research go and get in touch with the people that community manage those platforms because there's absolutely an abundance of opportunity there especially as more and more I think I'm not sure what the latest stats are but especially since Half-Life Alex, which was a big VR game that came out high, highly highly anticipated AAA content that came out this year that's like exploded the VR gaming market it's made you know it's really accelerated it there's no there's um you know there's no hiding the fact that the likes of Facebook are super excited about VR gaming hence why they've acquired you know, the guys that made Beat Saber. And then I can't remember what the latest one was, but they've acquired another game studio recently. So there's a there's going to be a massive push towards gaming in the VR industry. Now, as you know, that's not necessarily something that I focus on, but if that's something you're focused on, then brilliant. Go and look into that. Um, but also, if you're not interested in that, don't let that dishearten you. Don't let that kind of stop you because actually, I think the main opportunity and the main push that needs to be happening is for all the other audiences, all the non-gaming audiences. Let's get this into the hands of as many people as possible. And the way we're going to do that is by considering our distribution plans right up top and then creating the best content possible to reach those audiences. So I hope that's helpful. I would love to hear your follow-up to any of this. You can reach out to me on uh, alexmakesvr across any of the social medias. You can send me an email, alexmakesvr at gmail.com. And if you want to sign up for the newsletter to be reminded every day when these episodes go live, you can sign up at the newsletter, alexmakesvr.com. I hope you're having an amazing day wherever you are in the world. And I'll speak to you tomorrow.